Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea and my bookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. We got an outstanding interview, Stephen Lassen, Athlaw Sports. It's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday coming right up for you. But a little show announcement. Obviously, uh, holiday weekend, rivalry weekend. I love it so much. But uh, this week's going to be a little bit different. And we do have an announcement. Final show in the duplex studio <laughs> will be Tuesday evening. So Shane and I are going to go live. And we're actually going to make our picks for this weekend just because, uh, you know, Wednesday I'm moving back home, Thursday's Thanksgiving. So it's going to be difficult to do shows. So this is going to be the final opportunity, Shane and I live in person doing the podcast Tuesday, 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 Central, live on YouTube. If you just listen to the audio version, nothing will change for you whatsoever. But just wanted you guys to be uh, well aware of what's going on. Final time in the duplex here. It's going to be a sad day, but uh, I have got to get back to Nashville. <laughs> I'm, I'm over the sticks. But uh, I also will be going live after the Egg Bowl on Thursday, Thanksgiving. So there will be more content there. We'll be going live Friday after the Arkansas-Missouri game. And, of course, on Saturday, as long as I don't drink too much like I did last weekend at uh, – Get a power rankings reaction pod. So we'll have plenty of content coming to you. It's just going to be a little bit off schedule all throughout the week. But just want to make that little show announcement, give you guys a heads up. If you you haven't tuned in yet (laughs) to a live show from the Duplex, Tuesday, 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 Central, it's going to be your last opportunity. And we're going to make our picks for this big rivalry weekend now let's kick it over to this interview with Stephen Lassen from Athlon Sports. All right, so uh, it's another Tuesday. You know what that means? It means it's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday on the show. Senior editor, Athlon Sports. Stephen Lassen, how's it going, my friend? Hey, Mike. It's great to talk to you, my friend. I, I can't wait for this weekend. It's going to be an uh, awesome weekend of, of games uh, with the Thanksgiving holiday and all that. So looking forward to rivalries. Thanksgiving weekend and some football. I can't complain too much about it. Yeah, the greatest week on the college football calendar. We're living it right now. So I cannot wait Thursday, Friday, Saturday, college football and NFL too. I mean, throw it all in there, Stephen. I'll gobble gobble it all down this uh, holiday. But uh, big big news here out of Fayetteville. Let's start there, Stephen, because, you know, fans get consumed with all this coaching Content. There's two jobs open in the SEC, obviously, Texas A&M, Mississippi State. We thought we may be getting another, but that's not the case because Arkansas has made the decision to keep Sam Pittman. Uh, Thoughts on that? Very surprising news, I thought, to me at least. It it is surprising to me. Uh, Honestly, I thought after the the Auburn game, it was sort of the the end um, for Sam Pittman. You know, just the whole kind of vibe around the program. I think you saw a lot of Arkansas fans just say, hey, look, I'm I'm done with this era of Arkansas football. I think now that we've had, you know, almost a couple of weeks now to step back, I, I, I'm not, I become, I guess, okay with this idea. It might be, I think it's probably the right call. And I think for some 
kind of the biggest reason is we see this churn every year in coaching and there's sort of one loss puts a coach on the hot seat. He's got to be fired. We start the next cycle over. So maybe some patience at a job like Arkansas. And it, and it is, I think, I think it's a top 25 job, but I think there are some challenges. It's, it's getting tougher with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league. Not, also, you don't have to do a coaching search. And when you have Mississippi state and Texas A&M going on as well. So, I think there is some there is a case for stability and sort of stay in the course. Sam Pittman won nine games just two years ago. So I, I the more that we get past that loss to Auburn, I think I think it's probably the right decision in the end. Yeah, and you hit on something there important, Stephen. I wanted to ask you about the fact that AM and Mississippi State jobs are open. Do you think that may have affected Arkansas's decision to to not uh, fire Sam Pittman, just the fact that they'd have to compete against a couple other conference uh, foes here. And then, like you were saying, you know, Texas and Oklahoma coming in, it's kind of the unknown, some stability there. Uh, All those factors play into the decision, you think? I think it can. You know, I I think, first of all, I think if you're Arkansas, and I think if you kind of reached a – point of no return. And I don't think Arkansas necessarily reached that point, even though there's sort of the vibe was there after the Auburn loss. But I think if you also start looking at kind of how the coaching searches have played out, you don't have to go against Mississippi State. You don't have to go against Texas A&M. Some stability with all the change in the league, maybe it pays off. And also there is some, you know, I think you if you believe in Sam Pittman and his ability last year to fix the defense this offseason, Oh yes, find find the right offensive coordinator. Seems like he's going to have the NIL dollars he needs uh, to go out and upgrade some of the roster to the transfer portal. Also, I do wonder, and we'll see how it plays out after some of these coaching searches wrap up. But you know, there, I wonder about the actual coaching candidate pool. Like we're all speculating about potential candidates, but maybe behind the scenes, there may just not be some of these guys who are ready to make that jump from job A to job B. Uh, so I, I would be curious once this all wraps up to see how all these names move, but behind the scenes, that might be something that maybe, maybe Arkansas was hearing is that, Hey, there's just not a lot of guys that are interested this off season in moving. And with all the moving parts in the sec, and maybe you just go out and you can save some money in the buyout, hire a good coordinator and you convince KJ Jefferson to come back. Um, you know, you're not going through a transition year when there's a lot of other transition in the league. So it, it could it could work out for Arkansas. The the data on you know changing a coordinator and trying to get off the hot seat is not great. Um, but I think if you're Arkansas, like like I said, now removed from the situation, maybe a little bit of patience here uh, is is the right idea. Yeah, and well, speaking of that though, Stephen, a lot of fans don't seem very pleased with this news. But if Pittman is to turn it around. What's uh, and I think you hit on a lot of this already, but if Pittman is to turn around this offseason, what is uh, you know, maybe a checklist of, of the top five priorities that he needs to address and and obviously uh, you know, not have any miscues this offseason to turn around this Arkansas program? Yeah, I think the first thing is, you know, kind of like we talked about, I think offensive coordinator and quarterback are sort of married together. Because you know, in order for Arkansas and and for Sam Pittman to avoid the hot seat next year, they're going to have to find the right offensive coordinator, and they've got to convince KJ Jefferson 
to come back. And if you have to make other staff changes offensively too, like those are the priority, like the first two priorities. Once you get beyond that, it has to be improving the offensive line. Uh, I trust Sam Pittman to figure things out in the offensive line. It hasn't worked out this year, but I think give him an offseason and they can fi- hopefully figure some things out here. They've already landed one uh, transfer in the portal from a tackle from Michigan State. That's a good start. It is hard to find a couple starter SEC high-level caliber guys in the portal, but I think you have to at least bring some competition in. You have to bring in some depth. You have to bring in some guys who can at least maybe push for time next season. So I, I think find your right offensive coordinator, convince your quarterback, and recruit linemen and difference makers at receiver next year. And you can sort of, there's your uh, recipe to have a, an improved offense in 2024. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously we do have an opening in College Station. And I wanted to ask you this, Stephen. I, I saw someone else pose this question. Where would you rank the Texas A&M job among all SEC jobs? And let's just let's just narrow it down to 14 right now. So we're not including Texas and Oklahoma at with this question. About where would you rank the A&M job? I'd say probably fourth or fifth, maybe. Um, certainly behind Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Florida. Um, I think and when you add Texas and Oklahoma, it probably tumbles a little bit further down the list. I think it's a top 10 to 12 job in college football. You know, it may rank a little bit higher for some coaches and probably maybe a little bit lower. I think the question that you know you have to kind of ask yourself is, despite having all of these advantages with location and recruiting and potential and, and dollars, uh, why hasn't it translated on the field consistently? Um, just, and that's just even like going like double digit wins. I mean, it, whether it's hiring the right admin, the right coaches, um, you know, there could be a variety of factors in there. So I still think it's a, I think that's sort of, this sort of speaks to the challenge of the new sec in 2024 is that it could be the seventh best job in the sec, but it could be like top 10 in the country. Yeah. Uh, and then there have been, uh, two guys that have been rumored. I have no idea. Silly season, Stephen. Who's trying to get a raise? <laughs> uh, you know, people got jobs, so they got to write stories about something, and fans are dying for this content. So let me ask you about two guys, and, and let me know if there's any others that you you have heard or seen or anything. But uh, Jeff Trailer, UTSA reported, I think it was maybe the Austin Statesman. I, I can't remember who reported it, but someone reported Jeff Trailer. Has uh, I think he virtual interview with A and M. How how would he fit in? You think for A and M? I think he would fit in really well, and I think he gets that kind of what you and I talked about last week. Is that maybe not the flashiest, maybe not the biggest name, but this might be what Texas A and M needs. They might just need a guy who's got a lot of connections in the state of Texas. I think he would. I hate to use the word like dream job for any coach, but you know, a guy that's kind of cut his teeth. And it's just been like getting his hands dirty, hardworking, knows all the you know Texas high school coaches. No, not a lot of flash, but A&M's tried the flash. Let's try something different here. So I think he would almost be the anti-Jimbo as far as like personality, you know, uh, everything about it. I think he seems like a, a much more interesting uh, personality, a much more friendly personality probably uh, than Jimbo was to a lot of people at Texas A&M. So I know it would be a risk to hire 
a G5 coach and say to go to A&M, but let's th- let me throw this out there. If you're A&M, what about hiring like Jeff Trailer and surrounding him with like assistants like a Garrett Riley, um, go hire a really high profile defensive coordinator. Uh, Trailer is very loyal to his assistants. He always has been at UTSA. A lot of those guys that have been on staffs have moved on to better jobs just because they can't keep them due to resources. But maybe like Will Stein, who's his, who was his offensive coordinator at UTSA, is at Oregon, um, who's done a great job there. He could, maybe he could come back and, and be the offensive coordinator on a hypothetical uh, Jeff Trailer uh, staff, of course. But I, I think if you're like A&M with the resources you have, you can kind of insulate your head coach too if you're willing to to spend some bucks around him, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And then one, again, I have no idea if this is legitimate or not, but it's, I've seen it out, a lot of people talking about it. Ryan Day, Ohio State head coach. Curveball there, undefeated, I believe. And, you know, a couple plays short of maybe winning the national championship last year, but also a losing skid to Michigan. What thoughts on uh, on on that rumor? Again, it could just be a rumor. I don't know, but uh, thoughts on on you know what what comes to your mind when you hear Ryan Day, possible A and M candidate, and if he would, uh, you know, it, you think he would find success in College Station? I think somebody is either on a message board uh, boredom uh, around the Thanksgiving <laughs> holiday uh, or some agent might be trying to get Ryan Day a little bit of a raise or perhaps there's a little bit of truth in it. So I think on Ryan Day, I think if you wanted to make a case why he could be a candidate for another job or maybe the NFL, if he loses to Michigan for the third time in a row, even despite all of his other success, because we know at Ohio State you're judged on beating Michigan and you know winning the Big Ten and, of course, winning the national championship. So if he loses for the third year in a row, I don't want to say like he's going to get fired or he's going to be on the hot seat, but the pressure starts to build um, a little bit there. So if I was Ryan Day and I wanted a raise, I would sort of let my agent get this out there. Or if I really was interested, I might be trying to plot a path out in case I lose to Michigan again uh, for the third time, I think personally, I think it's a long shot, but you know, Hey, uh, in silly season, when it comes to coaching rumors, I think we should, uh, take everything in and, uh, evaluate it with a grain of salt. If that makes sense. Yeah. Are, any other names or anything that you've heard that, uh, you know, seem at, at least somewhat feasible for A&M since that job's opened. Yeah, I haven't heard any, uh, you know, kind of names outside of the ones that you and I have talked about, but I, I kind of have my my mind fixed on three names once the season ends next week for these guys like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, um, you know, Dabo Swinney, there's been some smoke about Dabo and Texas A&M. I'm not sure if it's, if there's anything to it, uh, but Lance Lapold at Kansas as well. Uh, like mm-hmm. those three names, you've seen some smoke about all three of them. They've been in the rumor mill next week. Once the season ends uh, for all three of them, I'll be curious to see if there's any more to that smoke uh, because right now, uh, unless I've missed the name, it seems like Jeff Trailer is the only one that has interviewed uh, for Texas A and M, and he's he's also been pretty pretty coy or pretty quiet about a potential A uh, and M interview when he's been asked about it. Right, and then the other job opening, Mississippi State. Uh, that that's another one. I, you know, this one fascinates me. Zach Selman, who's not made a football hire that I'm aware of, and, and certainly not at Mississippi State. And they're they're in a unique spot where they really need to nail this hire. Going into a uh, new look SEC, 
Thoughts on, uh, you know, so, some of the names out there, Jamie Chadwell, of course, some people floating Gus Malzahn, even though that seems highly unrealistic to me. And then uh, the one that has really got me intrigued is Barry Odom. Of those three, which one do you think would be the best hire for Mississippi State? Jamie Chadwell, without a doubt. Um, I think I think his ability to do something creative, something different, offensively track record of success at winning at different levels. Uh, I think he would be able to maximize the talent at a place like Mississippi state. And I also think, like I said, he, his offenses are hard to prepare for. And I think it would be probably unique to get guys in from the portal. Certainly from the high school ranks, you can take some kind of maybe some undersized skill players and put them in this system and they would be able to thrive. So I, I think Chadwell would do the best job based upon his track record of winning something different. And, um, you know, I I just, and I look at those other names that you mentioned to me, he just seems like easily the best of the three. I would still be curious if I was Mississippi state to talk to uh, John Summerall and Willie Fritz, Um, Willie Fritz kind of on the, the same end as Jamie Chadwell, someone who does something different. He's won a lot of different places. Like we talked about last week, he's a little bit older. So maybe you can, this is his, like last career move that he wants to make. Um, and I think he'd, he could be at Mississippi State for the next 10 years. So someone like Willie Fritz or maybe like Rich Rodriguez too could be interesting uh, because they've won at a lot of different places and, and run a unique offense. Mm-hmm. All right, Steven. Well, we don't have to spend a lot of time on these because there was not a lot of action in the SEC last week. But uh, anything stand out to you? Between, uh, you know, Georgia just whooping Tennessee, South Carolina survives Kentucky. That was a, that was an interesting game. Missouri, Florida. I mean, that was game of the game of the week, in my opinion. And then Auburn, Auburn lost to New Mexico State. It uh, what, what stood out to you last week? I, I was going to say, for the most part, the SEC avoided a yikes moment uh, until New Mexico State. Uh, beat Auburn. Uh, for the most part, though, you know, kind of as we expected last last Saturday, um, you know, Jane Daniels made another Heisman statement uh, against Georgia State. We also had uh, Missouri and Florida play a thriller. And the the yikes of the uh, award of the week has to go to Auburn <laughs> and uh, and Kentucky uh, for those two performances uh, on Saturday. But, you know, to, to, I think probably one of the bigger things that surprised me was, you know, early on in that Missouri Florida game, I was surprised at how you know close and competitive it was down to the end because I thought Missouri at one point was kind of just ready to take control of the game. It was you know the the last home game for Missouri and they would just kind of methodically kind of put Florida away. But a lot of credit to Florida, especially with um, with Graham Mertz, uh, the injury that he suffered for fighting back and having a chance to win in the fourth quarter. And of course, we got to talk uh, Georgia, uh, just another another dominant performance by the number one team in the country. Mm. I mean, as we get closer and closer to uh, the playoff, and, and I realize it would be a mistake to just complete. I mean, Georgia Tech is much improved, and, and obviously Alabama, that's, that ain't going to be an easy game. But as we get closer to it, does it look inevitable to you that uh, Georgia – Oh, I guess maybe this is the way I should ask this. Would you take Georgia or the field to win the national championship? I'd take Georgia. 
Uh, I, I think that this team is just better than everybody this year. And you look at some of the contenders, um, Michigan kind of had a shaky performance against Maryland on Saturday. We'll see what they look like against Ohio State. Ohio State offensively, not I don't think in the passing game as explosive as they were. Um, unfortunately, Florida State lost the starting quarterback uh, last week in, in, the, in the win over North Alabama. So I I just I think the the list of contenders, the question marks are adding up for those. And Georgia just looks like to me a team that is slowly this season started to reach its peak and they're sort of peaking at the right time as we get into November and December. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wanted to ask you this, Stephen, because I, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth, but because uh, they keep losing, but <laughs> I'm, I'm like getting more and more impressed with Billy Napier in, in Florida with, you know, there, it's not all young players, but there's, there's a ton of young players contributing and again, I, they keep coming up short, so no, nobody wants to hear that. And, but I, mm, I don't know. I mean, I, I wish Graham Mertz didn't get hurt. I, I wish Jordan Travis didn't get hurt. But the fact that that has happened now, I feel, you know, I, I get it. Florida State's going to be favored. They're undefeated for, you know, they're a really good team. But I almost lean towards Florida now that uh, both the quarterbacks are out. What? What is your thoughts on on Florida and the and what you've been seeing the last couple of weeks from Billy Napier's team? I think the biggest thing that you have to like is the fact that they have not thrown in the towel. Uh, despite everything that's gone on this year, they've played. You know, they've had a difficult schedule. Younger team, a lot of transition, a lot of noise, a lot of question marks. And every week, they sort of just try to. I mean, they played well at LSU a couple uh, weeks ago. Nearly won on Saturday against Missouri. And I think that's been the hard thing about this team is on one hand, you look at all the youth and you look at some of the the good that Billy Napier has done this year with the job of developing Graham Mertz. I mean, I had him last, I think in the sec and quarterback ratings. And at the beginning of the season, he could be uh sixth or seventh, maybe uh, by the end of uh, this season. So there has been a lot of good. It's just that the on-field results aren't there yet. And in a in the SEC, especially, it's the patience level runs out really quick at a place like Florida. It's a, it's a, it's you're not supposed to be a developmental program. You're supposed to be able to bring in players right away, turn the switch and go. So I think that's been the hard part is that patience has been needed to restock the roster. And within that, you've had some mixed results. There's been a great performance to beat Tennessee. There's the bad performance to beat uh, Kentucky. They just feel like they're all over the place, but also that might just be the result of all the youth on the roster and there's still a program in development. I do think even before Jordan Travis got hurt, I would have been worried about this for Florida State. Just going to the swamp where Florida has nothing to lose, they can win a sixth game and go to a bowl game, and now both teams have a backup quarterback starting and Florida has a ton i mean they still have we've we've been talking about it they've been fighting they've got a chance to go to a bowl game so i would be concerned i was already concerned uh for florida state going into that spot i would be even more concerned now uh with the injury to jordan travis well speaking of concern how concerned are you with uh, the direction of mark stoops kentucky program which you know it's kind of the easy joke to say they you know they always start out four and oh five and oh whatever but i mean it's been pretty awful how they've ended the season here and seemed like a program without answers. Uh, now maybe it's just, 
you know, they put too much faith in Devin Leary, and he kind of, you know, he's been average. I think that's fair. I mean, not awful, but but far from great. Um, and, and I don't, I don't know. It just seems like they're stuck, stuck in neutral with under Mark Stoops. I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think they're going to fire him, but I don't think anyone would hire him. You know, it's it's one of those deals, given his contract. What's what's your th- opinion of uh, the future under Mark Stoops? Is it fair, I guess, to say that I have some growing concern? I know you've kind of been there, but are you getting that sense, too, that there's some growing concern about where this team is? Yeah, uh, I, I think clearly. Um, and, you know, they've been able to hang their hat on defense, and now even the defense is – I mean, it's not like they they got blown out or anything by Carolina, but against Tennessee, against Georgia, and, and I get it. These are elite teams. Alabama, I mean, just waxed them too. It's just – I just – I've come to expect more of Kentucky's defense, and, and not even that area is, is holding up its end of the bargain. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I think you could also look at this just on the most basic level. They've won one game – since the start of October. And if they go on Saturday and lose to, to Louisville, you're looking at six and six and you're looking at losing to Louisville. You're also looking at losing a game with the, the Shane Beamer, Mark Stoops uh, rivalry. You would have lost that game. And you also would have watched Missouri and Tennessee, uh, you know, kind of pass you the, at least the last two years. So I think that would concern me if, if I'm Kentucky is like you said, it feels like things are stuck. And some there's been some slippage of the defense. The quarterback that they brought in hasn't played as well as they anticipated in, in the portal. Now, maybe another offseason gets him on track with Liam Cohen. The, the I, I suspect they'll be very active in the portal again to try and fill some of these spots. But, you know, that I think what's the nine million dollars a year? You're not you're not getting paid nine million dollars or, or whatever Mark Stoops is making this year. Uh, to finish six and six, lose to South Carolina, and potentially get beat by Louisville. But Louisville is a chance for them to sort of reset the the kind of momentum going into the offseason. If they go on the road and win this game, uh, Louisville's in the top ten. All of a sudden, you know, seven to five and a win over your your rivals looks a lot better. Yeah, and similar question about Josh Heupel. You talked me off the ledge last time, Stephen, but God, another butt kicking this time at home. Snap the uh, home win streak. I mean, they were just uh, from the from the second play on. They were not competitive against. And I get it. You, I mean, you just touted Georgia as the likely champion, and I would certainly agree with that. But so there there needs to be perspective there. But also the stat that I keep referencing, Stephen. I get Florida, Alabama, Missouri, and Georgia. Those second halves combined, Tennessee scored nine points in four second halves. And that's that. That's embarrassing. And and this is supposed to be a program that prides itself on offense, and it's it's not been there this year. Now again, they may go eight and four. They may go nine and four if they they can win the bowl game. And that's that shouldn't be the standard, but it's far better than a lot of Tennessee teams have done the last decade and a half. But uh, any concern that um, you know, there's just seemingly. Uh, well, no seeming about it. There, there's been a massive drop-off on the offensive side of the football this this season under Heupel. It is surprising to me to see some of the offensive regression. Um, it, it was going to be hard to replicate the Hendon Hooker 
Jalen Hyatt, uh, you know, Cedric Tillman connection in in one offseason. And I, I know Joe Milton's been getting a lot of criticism, and I think he could certainly play better. I don't think it's all in him. I like I think if you swapped out Nico for Joe Milton, maybe the score is a little closer, but Georgia still wins in a blowout. Um, so I, I think I I would be kind of characterize my concern level with Tennessee as maybe rising a little bit. Um, I think the the question that I asked myself on coaches like Hypo when they're at this point of their tenure, he was able to improve the program to this point. Can he maintain and elevate? Like I think it's easier to walk into a program and fix sort of the short term stuff, but you also have to be good at like addressing the long term things. Like it's the same kind of conversation about like Sam Pittman. You know, complete culture change, um, a lot of short term improvement, but can you maintain and build off of that? And I think that's what we're going to have to to see with Josh Heupel. But if they do finish nine and four, for as kind of shaky as the offense has been. And they have potentially a superstar quarterback waiting to start next year. It's not all bad for Tennessee. Um, I I will ask you this question: Do you think they miss Alex Golish at all? Yeah, I I think I think clearly they do, uh, particularly in the red zone, because I, as I understand it, he was paramount to a lot of the uh, red zone design and, and play calling last season. And man, they. You think of the key games like that they won LSU, Alabama. They had a ton of success. Now, I'm sure a large portion of that is having uh, Hendon Hooker and, and Jalen Hyatt, and, and this year not having those receivers and, and having Joe Milton. I mean, Joe, again, I, I sit here and try not to bash players, and, and he's easy to criticize, but he has he has not – He's made it tough to defend some of the things in the red zone. I, th- I think that's completely fair to say. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think if if we look to Tennessee's schedule at the end of the season, like let's assume that they beat Vanderbilt, and before they get to a bowl game, they would have lost to Florida, Alabama, Missouri, and Georgia. I think for sure at the start of the season, I penciled in losses to Georgia and Alabama. It's the other two that were pretty surprising to me. And it's not that... It's maybe it's not that Tennessee lost those games. It's the fact they lost by in the fashion that they did. They got blown out by Missouri and they lost by 13 in a game of Florida where the Gators pretty much controlled uh, mm-hmm. that kind of after early on. So, I, I yeah, I, I'll, I'll buy some growing concern uh, for Tennessee. But like I said, I mean, if they finish nine and four this year and that's the lowest that they're going to be on offense with a, a talent level on defense that seems to be getting better and you can go out and maybe get some difference makers in the portal at receiver. I mean, things could be quickly get back on track for Tennessee next year. Yeah. All right. Let's take a little break from the show to remind you guys, we are brought to you by my bookie head on, head on over to mybookie.ag today online sports book. They got all kinds of Thanksgiving props and bets and, all this going on during the holiday weekend. So now, if you haven't, is a great time to create an account over at mybookie.ag today. And most importantly, don't forget the promo code that SEC T H A T S E C over at mybookie.ag today. This is the number one way to help the podcast. And not only does it help us, it helps you with the $200 cash bonus 
with that promo code that SEC over at mybucky.ag today. There's a link in the show notes. Just follow that link, sign up for an account. You'd be doing us a tremendous, tremendous favor. We're also brought to you by Prize Picks. Don't forget, head on over to prizepicks.com, promo code SEC. They're willing to match your initial deposit up to 100 bucks with that promo code SEC. Daily Fantasy Sports over at Prize Picks. And they also got all kinds of uh, free squares and things of that nature. Thanksgiving promos over at prizepicks.com, promo code SEC. Please take advantage of these sponsorship opportunities. Head on over to mybookie.ag, promo code that SEC. Head on over to Prize Picks, promo SEC. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted T. Your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code THATSEC for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game Time is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code that. SEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem that SEC for 20 bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now back to the show. Any, uh, and this may be too early to, to say, but I mean, it was just so bad. Any goodwill uh, lost by Hugh Freeze? I mean, it's one thing to lose to New, Me- to New Mexico State at home, but it's another to get dominated. And that's, you know, if they played again tomorrow, Auburn probably wins. But we could sit here with a lot of games and say that. The fact of the matter is they got, they were at no point in the second half where did it feel like they were going to win that ball game. Uh, and, he, you know, is the honeymoon over for Hugh, you think? Well, it, it it could all change this week if they beat Alabama, right? <laughs> you go for, for that's actually a theme for me for this weekend's games is, you know, a lot of teams I suspect spend a lot of time preparing for the the opponent coming up this week because it's such a key game. Like if you're mm-hmm. Ole Miss, how much time did you spend on Louisiana Monroe? You probably spent most of your time getting ready for Mississippi State. Same thing for Mississippi State against Southern Miss. I think the alarming thing though. For me on Auburn, it wasn't that New Mexico State won. It's that they went in and pushed around Auburn. I mean, to run for 213 yards. I mean, I know Auburn's you know, the, the strength of the defense is in the secondary, but you know, for Auburn to only have 213 total yards of offense and to get pushed around by New Mexico State, that's a little alarming. So I, I think 
to your to answer your question, like, yeah, I think the honeymoon's probably over because it felt like the team had been trending in the right direction. Then all of a sudden it's like an abrupt halt and, and a really big step back. But if they go out and beat Alabama this week, it's back on. <laughs> right. So I, I kind of keyed you up for this one, Stephen. I, I asked you to have this prepared, so I'm interested to hear what you have to say. But coach under the most pressure this weekend with all these critical games, basically a, a must-win situation. And there's so many different ways you could go with this one. I mean, I I could imagine you saying Sam Pittman because that would, you know, not completely flip the script, but they just announced they're bringing him back. You know, if they look awful against Missouri, I mean, it's that's they're gonna they're gonna kill him down there. The fans are. Uh, you could even say drink. I mean, all this goodwill you own Arkansas, then all of a sudden you have this best season yet. You lose to them. Oh boy. Uh, we we just went on Mark Stoops. What is he year eleven? Whatever, losing a year one, Brom. I think that'd be a huge issue. Um, I, I I think even there's some pressure on Nick Saban. Can't be losing a Hugh Freeze year one who just got stopped by New Mexico State. Heupel. I mean, my goodness, they're twenty seven point favorite. If he loses to Vanderbilt, that that concern you're talking about is going to be with the entire fan base. I mean, he may never recover if he, if he loses to Vanderbilt. How fast would Heupel's agent text Texas A&M <laughs> a uh, you up message? <laughs> For, uh, Florida, Billy, you know, not that that, that, I mean, they have to win it to reach a bowl and that, that'd be big. I mean, it, I wouldn't say must win, but you beat Florida state. I think, I think the fan base fully on board with you, given how good Florida state's been. I don't care that, you know, the quarterbacks are hurt. And and Shane Beamer, same deal. You beat Clemson last year. If you follow them this year, a lot of momentum. You won't be making a bowl game. So there's a you could go many different directions with this one, Stephen. But I'm curious who which SEC coach is facing the most pressure this week, rivalry week. I jotted down five coaches, and I had a hard time ranking these one through five. Because I kind of felt like you did. It felt like once I started getting getting into the list, I kind of I sort of got okay. That like you could put him one, you could put him five, you can make a case. I went with Billy Napier at Florida. Um, I think first of all, six and six looks a heck of a lot better than five and seven. And getting to six and six means you play in a bowl game, you get the extra practices, and maybe you sort of stop some of the kind of. Negative momentum on the recruiting trail with the recent losses that they have, it, it, it's a lot. I think that the momentum is easier to sell at six and six. It's it's not a whole lot better, but it's better than not being in the postseason. You've got Florida State, your biggest rival, coming in without its starting quarterback, and you can spoil their undefeated season, and you can get to a bowl game, and you can sort of it could be another check for Billy Napier as he tries to rebuild this program. So, I think with with the direction kind of questions about Napier he could answer some of them with a win here on Saturday so I went with Billy Napier interesting but, on, but honestly I mean Sam Pittman was a close uh was a close second for me yeah just imagine uh you know ruining the dream season for the Florida State Seminoles that's that's gonna get you a lot of goodwill in Gainesville you know what it, even honestly even if Florida was three and eight coming into this game it should terrify like Florida state to go into the swamp with a Florida team with kind of, I mean, they have something to play for, but they have nothing to lose here and they have everything 
on the table here to spoil Florida State season. Um, you know, as far as like recruiting goes, if you're Florida, how much does it matter? Like, I think it matters some to beat Florida State head to head. Certainly, you know, you can sell it to recruits. So there should be a ton of motivation here for Florida to just to play spoiler against uh, against their biggest rival. But also, I think there is a little bit of pressure here because six and six in a bowl game is a lot better to end the season than at five and seven. Yeah. Well, before we preview these matchups, I I, I did want to ask you too, Stephen. I I asked you in advance. What is your favorite SEC rivalry game? Is is there one that stands out to you? The Egg Bowl, uh, Ole Miss <laughs> and Mississippi State. It's um, you know, I think Alabama Auburn. Like the stakes are always they always seem to be a little bit higher, um, especially since um Nick Saban and and this kind of era of football. But just the absurdity, the craziness, the coaching drama, the on-field drama between these two, it's got to be the Egg Bowl for me. So I don't care if both teams are 0-11. They're the the worst teams in the country. I'm going to watch this game every year. Uh, and thankfully, we've had some good ones uh, in recent years, too. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, let's start right there then, obviously, because it's Thursday, Thanksgiving, Ole Miss at Mississippi State, battle for the golden egg here. and you know, one of the best rivalry trophies that's <laughs> in all of college football. Uh, Ole Miss, obviously the uh, big favorite, but, hey, the underdog has been known to win this game, particularly at home. Uh, what's your thoughts on Ole Miss at Mississippi State? I think the the stakes for this game are interesting. It's not only the rivalry component like we talked about. It's the fact that Mississippi State needs a win to get to six and go bowling this year. And oh, by the way, if you win this game, you can spoil a uh, double-digit win season for Ole Miss. You can also knock them out of a New Year's Six Bowl game, potentially. So if you're Mississippi State, you get your your biggest rival at home at the end of the year, and much like Florida, um, a chance to play spoiler. I think also good for Mississippi State to get Woody Marks and Will Rogers back. Like That's their best chance, for me, in my mind, for them to win this game. Um, I love the matchup of you know Mississippi State's rush defense against Quinshaw Judkins. Um, we know the issues that the Bulldogs have had against the pass. Can they slow down Quinshaw Judkins? On the flip side of things, I think if I'm Jackson Dart, I'm looking at the secondary going, <laughs> we 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 could have a pretty good night if things are clicking um, offensively. But hey, in a game like this, it doesn't matter what the records are in the matchups. I suspect there's going to be a lot of high level emotions on on both sides and. Despite what the the spread says, uh, I get I like um, I think we're going to see a much closer game uh, as Mississippi State fights hard to get bowl eligible. Now, how about Friday? Uh, the my favorite rivalry that no one considers a rivalry: Missouri at Arkansas, dream season versus nightmare season. But again, stri- strange things can happen in this game. You know, for a for for two teams that don't consider each other rivals, they sure do chirp a lot at each other, don't they? <laughs> um, so, uh, whether it's a rivalry game or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, I first of all, Missouri is seven and two against Arkansas since they they joined the SEC. So, I and and the stakes for this one are even higher because if Missouri wins this game. They're not locked into the New Year's Six, but they're pretty darn close. So, if think about this, if you're Missouri. The Cotton Bowl, the Peach Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl. One of those three could be in play here if you if you win on, on Friday. So there's a lot still at stake for Missouri. Kind of the same deal, though, for Arkansas. Not going to a, a bowl game if they can win this one at 5-7. and seven, But you get a chance to play spoiler 
And also I think just in terms of like coaching pressure, the same thing we talked about with Napier, Sam Pittman's coming back next year. This is kind of the, the chance to start things over officially. Like from here, if you win this one, you can build up some goodwill uh, as we go into the off season and maybe build some momentum here with a good hire, kind of get the fan base back on your side as we go into 2024. So there's a lot at stake here. And I think I will be curious to see how um, KJ Jefferson matches up against this Missouri defense, uh, because going back to, to last week, I was really surprised at how well Florida ran on Missouri. So I, this seeing how Jefferson plays here in this spot against Missouri's defense, I think probably one of the more intriguing matchups for me of this weekend. Mm-hmm. How about uh, this battle in the state of Kentucky, Stephen? Kentucky at Louisville. At, have, I know Louisville's in a top 10. Their playoff hopes are still alive, believe it or not. Not a lot of people talking about it. I realize it's an outside shot, but that's still on the table, and I haven't got to watch that much. I, I saw maybe like two Thursdays ago they played a game. That's that's the only action I saw. It was a come behind, from behind win, I believe. But uh, thoughts on Kentucky at Louisville? You know, I don't want to. I don't want to say um, like different trend lines here for these two teams. But it and, and like it's not two teams headed in opposite directions. But there's like a different vibe uh, for both teams going into this game. Like we talked about with Kentucky, um, you know, sort of kind of where are they? Are they just kind of stuck? Whereas Louisville, they feel like they're trending up as we go into um, this postseason. They're playing in the the ACC championship game next week against Florida State. So. I think just two different kind of feelings for these two fan bases, but also you have sort of a, a new start with Louisville under Jeff Brom. And you know, for all the the credit that he gets as an offensive guru, and he is, he's excellent at developing quarterbacks, putting together high-powered offenses. Their defense is is pretty salty this year, too. I mean, they're second in the ACC in fewest points allowed. So I, I think this kind of gets at the challenge for me for Kentucky in this game. Louisville's been good at generating pressure. They've been good at stopping the run. And so this might be a game where Devin Leary on the road is going to have to step up and and be able to help Kentucky probably more in in one of these spots. So Louisville, very good on defense. We know they're also improved offensively. This is a really tough matchup, I think, for Kentucky. The trend line in the series has been Kentucky wins. They've won four in a row. But like I said, it does feel like a different vibe about this game uh, going into it as Louisville kind of tries to start a new chapter uh, under Jeff Brom. How about uh, A&M at LSU, Stephen, where A&M's got new life under this uh, Jalen Henderson. I've been wildly impressed with him. They're their third-string quarterback. I, I realize the competition's not been great, but just adds another element, and it certainly seems like they're having a lot of fun down there in College Station. Any chance they carry that over to LSU and uh, – and beat LSU for the second year in a row. There's a lot of lot of intrigue for me in this game because I think on on one side of things you have Texas A&M with Jalen Henderson who has played really well the last two weeks, albeit that the competition level will go up as you go into LSU and try to win, and also with the caveat that LSU has defense has been really struggling this year. I wonder if we might get kind of a wild high scoring game here. Because you have the the A and M receiving core, uh, Muhammad, Moose Muhammad able to play now uh, with Jimbo gone, and, and, and uh, Evan Stewart and Anaya Smith against LSU secondary, which seems like a really bad matchup uh, for LSU. On the flip side of things, I mean, Jaden Daniels, this is his last regular season game, 
And I think if you're LSU and you want to make one more Heisman statement, he's going to touch the ball probably frequently, and they're going to try and score a lot in this game. So I think this one could be pretty wild because I think LSU is going to try and score a lot, and we know they're going to give up some points here uh, because of the way their secondary has played this year. Now, caveat being Jalen Henderson could really struggle, and Max Johnson may not be available. And if he struggles, then it could end up being just kind of an LSU blowout. Yeah. Uh, how about the Iron Bowl, Stephen? Where's man? If not for those pesky New Mexico State, whatever the heck they are, I mean, this, they're, they're, this... Mike, Mike, they're a well-coached Aggies team coming into <laughs> SEC country. We haven't seen that this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent point. The uh, the best Aggies in the country, probably. But uh, man, this game lost a lot of luster after that. But still, you know, Jordan Hares. Stadium, it's uh, it's a house of horrors for many, including it's the closest Georgia came to getting knocked off this year, right? We was go- going to Auburn somehow, so maybe they catch some of that magic again. Final SEC on CBS regular season game ever, Stephen, till we get the, the SEC championship, of course. But uh, thoughts on Alabama Auburn? Really um, interested to see how Auburn looks after last week's performance. Because like we were talking about earlier, I wonder how many of these teams just not necessarily didn't prepare or overlook or you know how many teams were looking ahead to this week. And especially if you're Auburn getting a chance to get Alabama at your place, much like you said, they gave Georgia trouble um, earlier this season. So I think just a where is Auburn kind of a game uh, because of last week's debacle, I would suspect that they are much more probably focused and locked in. Um, for Alabama. And of course, for Alabama, there's everything to play for. You've got, um, you know, the SEC championship coming up, still in the mix to make the college football playoff. You can't afford a slip up. I think my biggest question here for Auburn is how are they going to manufacture points against Alabama's defense? Uh, like, I think in this game, it could be lower scoring, it could be a little ugly. Can Auburn offensively muster anything? Because, I mean, 213 yards last week against New Mexico State. We know they've been inconsistent in the passing game this year, too. Uh, quarterbacks, receivers, you name it. So I that's my question here is if, if Auburn isn't able to get anything consistently, how can they beat Alabama? And I think the answer is they just empty the bag of tricks and they get a couple of turnovers, something on special teams, some kind of uh, play like that just because it happens because it's at Auburn. That to me is the path uh, for victory uh, for Auburn. They're going to need a, to put it mildly. They're going to need a much better <laughs> effort than they, they gave last week against the Mexico state to beat Alabama. Yeah. How about uh, Vanderbilt at Tennessee two weeks to prepare for Vanderbilt. Something just throwing it out there. Maybe, maybe uh, this is the largest spread this weekend in the SEC though. Yeah, it is. I think two two weeks um, to prepare a positive for Vanderbilt. The the problem I think for Vanderbilt here is I think Tennessee should be probably angry, uh, motivated, and I think the matchups in this game just clearly favor Tennessee. Like, can Vanderbilt stop the ground game uh, for Tennessee? Probably not. Vanderbilt's probably. I think they should be desperate to get an SEC win, and you know, with it being a rivalry, they'll fight hard. It's just hard for me to see Vanderbilt being able to keep this one uh, within striking distance, and especially as well as Tennessee has played at home this year too. Well, not last week, but not right, not last week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How about uh, Florida State at Florida? 
again, uh, unfortunately, both starting quarterbacks going to miss this game. Uh, does that add? Uh, uh, it must a, a layer of intrigue for this one. It does, because I, I, to be honest with you, I don't know what to expect in this game. Um, you have two quarterbacks who are, you know, largely inexperienced. Uh, Florida State's backup Tate Rodemaker has a lot more than Max Brown, and Rodemaker has played well uh, when called upon. He, he came in for Jordan Travis last year against Louisville when uh, Jordan Travis got hurt, was kind of instrumental in their comeback win. Played well against North Alabama last week. It's North Alabama. The the things the challenge is going to get a little tougher in the swamp this week. Uh, one thing to watch is I I did think that he may have been holding the ball a little bit too long against North Alabama's pass rush. So I think if you're Florida and the pass rushers of Florida, that, that internal clock if you're Florida State will have to be sped up. But I think just the intrigue here, um, the new quarterbacks. You know, if you're Florida State, can you lean on your defense and your ground game to win this one? Probably. Um, if you're Florida, I think the the counter to that is, you know, Florida State has got a lot more to play for. Florida, Florida can play loose. They're at home. They're trying to get to six wins. I think it is a dangerous spot here for Florida State. How about uh, Georgia at Georgia? Tech? I say at Georgia Tech. There's probably going to be more Georgia fans there than Tech fans. But uh, Tech is improved, as, as I understand it. I've not had an opportunity to m- watch them play much, aside from that uh, famous ending of the Miami game there, but uh, uh, what kind of uh, game could this be? Yeah, the first thing that jumps out to me about this game is Georgia has won the last five in this series by a combined score of 217 to 35. So it has been very much one-sided in the favor of Georgia, uh, as you can imagine. Georgia Tech has been one of the strangest teams in the country this season. They had a thing going where they one lost, one loss, and then they had the Miami debacle. They somehow beat North Carolina. They've been all over the place, uh, but they are improved, to your point. And one of the biggest reasons why is Haynes King at quarterback. Uh, they are much improved offensively than they were last season, albeit their defense is struggling, and Haynes King has tossed 15 interceptions. So they will have to play a clean game uh, to beat Georgia and I think we can see by the series trend in the way that Georgia has been played this year, even though it's on the road. I think Georgia in pretty good shape here. You'd probably know this, Stephen. I, I apologize. I just thought of this, but um, who was the head coach at Georgia Tech when they beat Georgia? I guess that would have been Kirby's. First, was it his first year? Should, should be Paul Johnson. Yeah, running that, the option that, because that was the the game where I think Nick Chubb decided, "Hey, I'm coming back," and I think that's personal now for Kirby. I, I was just going to say, I don't, I don't think Kirby's ever going to lose this game again, no. to be honest with you. <laughs> no, no I, I don't think so. It, it would take a Herculean effort from Haynes King uh, for Georgia Tech to, to win this game. And, and especially the way that Carson Beck has been playing, Jaden Daniels has been stealing the spotlight in the SEC in the quarterback space, but Carson Beck is also playing pretty darn uh, well too. I know he's not going to get, probably not going to get the Heisman Trophy, this year, but as far as like someone becomes back next year, he's going to be probably one of the top quarterbacks in the country next year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the last one, Stephen, this this could be the best game of the weekend for all I know. Clemson at South Carolina at night. Obviously, uh, Carolina snapped that streak last year. Pressure to to keep that going. Got to win it to get to a bowl game. 
No love loss. I, I don't think Dabo and, and Beamer, I don't think there's any bad blood there, but obviously these fan bases hate each other. Uh, this is another great one. All 365 days of the year that the state's thinking about this game. Uh, what's your thoughts on Clemson at South Carolina? It's it's a huge game for South Carolina um, because of the of what's at stake. You can get to six wins and finish the job. You know, we we talked about this a few weeks ago about how that they had a four game stretch at home to close the regular season, and they've checked off three boxes so far. And credit to their defense too. I mean, they they struggled at this year in defense, but they made a couple timely uh, plays against Kentucky and against Jacksonville State, and certainly played well against Vanderbilt. Uh, to get them in this place. But I think just at the most the most basic level for this matchup is it's like strength on strength. And that's South Carolina's offense against Clemson's defense. And then the other side is, can South Carolina get any stops against Clemson's offense? Which I wouldn't say is a weakness, but it's not the high-powered offense that maybe Clemson has brought to Williams-Brice in previous years. They are not good at hitting big plays, so they have to be more methodical, they got a good one-two punch at running back in uh, in Will Shipley and Phil Moffa. So I think if you're South Carolina, if you can stop the run and try to force them into some long yardage situations, that seems to be kind of a path to victory. And also, I, I think seeing the spread in this one, you're going to need a little magic, maybe a little play on special teams. You're definitely going to need Spencer Rattler uh, to be at his best because Clemson has allowed just one of its last seven opponents to go over 200 passing yards. So strength on strength and South Carolina's defense is going to have to stop that run game to get, to get the victory. Yeah. And I love asking you now, Steven, uh, that, you know, confidence level of, of wins and losses here, any that you feel extremely confident about uh, in terms of winning the game and, and maybe some that you, you're, far less confident that uh, that you know as we're recording here Monday evening uh, that you, that you're confident will you know who's the victor feel pretty good high confidence I guess is is the right way to word it Tennessee and Georgia um and LSU I think the others I think a lot more um, I should I should know Alabama too in there sorry so the others, though, feel are sort of in that toss-up category for me just because rivalry games always bring out the best in them. Um, Ole Miss, probably medium-level confidence because of the rivalry. but the other, And same thing from, from Missouri, uh, too. But like Florida State versus Florida, Clemson versus South Carolina, uh, in Kentucky, Louisville, kind of feel a little bit more toss-up to me. And and what's your thoughts on this, Stephen? That uh, you know, I, I know you're a fan of the bowl games, as am I. But some people just completely disregard them. But when it comes to a, a conference's strength, you know, a lot of people look at it as uh, not non-conference. I mean, I think that's kind of the best way now. And, and again, I'm not including the bowl games, but and and the SEC has looked awful through much of the season in these non-conference showdowns. Is this an opportunity, do you think, to uh, kind of flip that narrative and or, or the narrative could continue if uh, Louisville wins, if uh, you know Florida State wins, if Clemson wins, God forbid Georgia Tech wins. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, what's your thoughts on, uh, on, on how this weekend, this rivalry weekend will play into those uh, narratives? 
It definitely helps. I think it definitely helps like from a perception angle. Um, what's funny is I think we're headed to a place where the SEC didn't have a great non-conference uh, season. Personally, I don't put a ton of stock into bowl records because they're almost like preseason games to me. And especially now you can play red shirts in bowl games and they don't count. The, the rosters are also crazy. I don't think we can judge like if the SEC goes six and two, in bowl games and the Big Ten goes eight no, the Big Ten's better. It doesn't really matter. But you're right. Like from a perception angle, if the SEC's, you know, sweeps the non-conference and Florida knocks off Florida State, you know, that's that's gonna be a heck of a lot of uh of narrative rewriting for the conference after uh after the sluggish non-conference. So it's not everything, but I think it'll certainly help. But and I think we're also getting in that space of where it's not probably not going to matter what happened to the SEC in the non-conference because at the end of the year, Kirby's going to get the national championship trophy again, <laughs> and the SEC is going to be on top. Yeah, and then last thing, Stephen, uh, you know, this is something that you've brought to us the last couple of weeks, and I really appreciated it. But uh, your updated SEC bowl projections, and I love throwing this graphic up, and people getting mad at me, Stephen, for for your selections. So uh, I'm curious to know. I, I realize there was not a, a ton of of probably movement based on last weekend, you know, the SEC action. Uh, but uh, how are how are things looking in your updated SEC bowl projections? We'll start at the top because Georgia is still the number one team in my mind, and I've got them going to the Sugar Bowl in this playoff semifinal with the change. Got them playing Oregon, old friend Bo Nix and Dan Lanning uh, meeting up mm. in the Sugar Bowl for the first round of the college football playoff. So Georgia to the college football playoff, it's the only SEC team in the playoff. If Alabama wins, some other things might get a little shakeup. So Georgia is still at the top in the Sugar Bowl. I would imagine Bo Nix has just has nightmares of facing Georgia. You know what? Yeah. And it's, he, he just can't avoid them. I, I think it would be intriguing. It'd be an intriguing playoff game because I think Oregon, of the teams that um, could make the playoff, like – they, you know, Florida State with a backup quarterback, like Oregon could make some noise in the playoff and maybe one of these semifinal games. I don't think it's against Georgia. Like, I think if they got Michigan or Ohio State or Florida State, I think it could fare a little bit better. But you're right. I mean, it's it would be a fascinating playoff because you would have Lanning against uh, Kirby Smart. We, we remember how the last meeting uh, went between these two and, of course, yeah. the Bo Nix angle, too. But I don't think it would go well for, for Oregon. Uh, they better hope to get, like, Michigan or Ohio State or Florida State in the first game. Yeah, and in your uh, other previous bowl projections, you've had Alabama versus uh, Oregon. So who do you got Alabama facing now? I've got Alabama taking on Washington in the Cotton Bowl. And if that happens, that'd be a heck of a game. You could flip. Uh, if you like Washington to win the Pac-12, you could flip Oregon and Washington in this scenario too. I should mention uh, SEC cousin, uh, Texas fell out of the playoff ranking this week. The committee really likes uh, Oregon over Texas. So Texas is going to need some help to get into the playoff. But I still got them in, in the New Year's Six. I got them in the Fiesta Bowl against Tulane. Mm. Man, yeah, that would. So even if Texas wins out, they're no, they're no lock to get to the playoff, you don't think? I don't think they are because I think the scenario that's setting up is Georgia wins out, they're in. The Pac-12 champion, provided Washington and Oregon both win this week, probably going to be in. 
Florida State wins out there in, and you got one spot for the Big Ten uh, champ, uh, whether it's Michigan or Ohio State. They right. should beat, beat Iowa in the uh, in the Big Ten championship game. The caveat being, what happens to Florida State? Like if they lose, um, that helps Texas a lot. So if you're a Texas fan, I think you're probably rooting for Florida State to lose to Florida this weekend or to Louisville uh, next Saturday. Now, don't piss off our Mizzou listeners, Stephen. Do you, do you still got them in the New Year Six? Absolutely. I've got them in the Peach Bowl against Penn State. And I mentioned it earlier, win against Arkansas, and they can start thinking uh, for sure about the New Year's Six because they're going to be in a really good spot, um, provided some other upsets could happen. But they'd be in a good spot if they beat Arkansas to be in the New Year's Six this year. Yeah, man, what a season that would be for the Missouri Tigers. And, and a very, very winnable game. I know it's a hypothetical here, but a very winnable game uh against Penn State. So to just to, to be in this situation uh is is kind of like why I like Eli Drinkowitz as my SEC coach of the year. Mm. All right, how about uh, another Tigers LSU? You still got them next on the pecking order there? Absolutely. We've got Brian Kelly meeting up with the family uh in Notre Dame <laughs> in the ReliQuest Bowl. So uh that would be uh talk about like TV ratings bonanza in the bowl season. So same thing yeah. as last week. Yeah, okay. Uh, who, who you got next? We'll go to the Citrus Bowl. We've got Iowa playing Ole Miss. Uh, should note, if you're Ole Miss, beat Mississippi State. And if you get some other losses in front of you, Ole Miss could also still play its way into the New Year's Six here. So they're right there on the cusp, on the outside looking in. But a few things break their way. Um, we could have Ole Miss and Missouri both in the New Year's Six. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm almost rooting for that, Stephen, just because I want to see Ole Miss offense and Iowa offense on the same field in a bowl game. It's, you like, know? <laughs> it's like offenses on two different planets, you know? It's like... <laughs> All right, uh, who, who's next on your, your bowl projections? Got Auburn versus Wisconsin in the Music City Bowl. Um, and I'll tandem this with the Texas Bowl because I've got Texas A&M playing Oklahoma State in the Texas Bowl if you mm-hmm. wanted to flip Auburn and A&M in this scenario, I, I don't think you'll catch much disagreement from me. But um, regardless of what happens this weekend, this kind of goes for Auburn, A&M, Tennessee. The teams ahead of you, if Missouri or Ole Miss have a surprise upset loss, it could affect a lot of these teams in the pecking order. So I guess if you're Tennessee, if you're uh, A&M or Auburn, you almost want the favorites to win out outside of your game to help you kind of stay high in the pecking order. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's something to consider going into this uh, final weekend. Um, all right, so you haven't mentioned Tennessee. Are we still going bowling or, or we have just embarrassed <laughs> ourselves to we're not going to the postseason? I, th- I think the bowl executives in Florida would be very happy to have the Tennessee Volunteers to play the North Carolina Tar Heels in the Gator Ooh. Bowl. Uh, Tennessee fans may not like the Gator aspect of this one, but a matchup <laughs> against North Carolina would be a pretty uh, fun one, especially if Drake May uh, plays for North Carolina. So Tennessee to the Gator Bowl to play North Carolina. Yeah, to face Tennessee native Mac Brown. That's right. Yeah. No, that that yeah, you got me excited for it. Yeah, <laughs> we can get we can get back for that loss to South Carolina, or uh, you know they beat South Carolina, so SEC owes them one. Maybe uh, Nico's first start in the bowl, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're just starting oh. up trouble now. <laughs> All right, who you got next? Got South Carolina and West Virginia in the Liberty Bowl. You know, again, 
South Carolina is still alive. We're going to consider them for a bowl game. So uh, mm-hmm. if if they win, I think they could go here to the Liberty Bowl or the Music City Bowl uh, potentially to play Wisconsin. So a lot to play for for South Carolina. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so I did want to ask you that because I just now realized. So South Carolina, Florida, Mississippi State, all of them knocking on the door of eligibility to or, or to make the postseason, but you know they're all underdogs. There's a scenario where they all lose. Uh, well, you know the SEC they may not even have near as many bowl teams as they normally do. Absolutely, and it also it's also there's 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 good and bad in your teams getting into the New Year Six. Because the obviously the more high profile game is great, but then the the ones that are at the middle, the kind of the bowl pecking order, they're not going to have an SEC team because, you know, like you mentioned, South Carolina and Florida. I didn't consider Mississippi State. They feel like a, more of a long shot to me to win this weekend, but they'd probably be penciled into the Birmingham Bowl. But you could be looking at three other openings in the SEC if those two, those teams don't win. But you're also looking at Georgia in the playoff, Alabama, Missouri, potentially Ole Miss in the New Year's Six. So it's very top-heavy uh, this year in the SEC. Interesting. So do we hit them all, or I'm trying to rack my brain? Is there any other teams? Got Kentucky and Duke in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Maybe there's a basketball game between Duke and Kentucky. <laughs> we could play at some tournament uh, a few weeks later. And I'm going to keep Florida in the bowl projections. I've got them in the Gasparilla Bowl against uh, Georgia Tech. And I didn't want to forget about uh, SEC cousin Oklahoma. I have them in the Alamo Bowl playing Arizona. So it could be a nice mm. little cap to the season uh, for uh, for Oklahoma. Yeah, no, that that's interesting because Arizona, as I understand it, they're pretty hot. And, I, you know, I was impressed with them. I only watched one game of theirs, but it was Mississippi State. And had they not had five turnovers, they would have won that game. But – it's pretty. It's it's damn hard to go to overtime with five turnovers, but they found a way. That's that's what I knew. Mississippi State was probably in trouble. <laughs> probably yeah. not a great team. You know what? Right. Yeah. There 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 were some uh, some warning signs, and, and I don't I don't mean to to beat up on Mississippi State, but there were some warning signs going back to the off season of of the coaching staff hires and early this season that we probably uh, missed upon. But at the same yeah. time, they also just need one victory, and they're six and six, and they're not too far off where like most people probably had them, uh, six and six, and and seven and five to start this year. Right. Well, Steve, we went a little bit long here, so I do appreciate your time. Before you go, can you tell the audience uh, where can they follow you? Where can they find your work? Absolutely. So first of all, just I wanted to say, hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy the football. Enjoy the food. Uh, enjoy the the plate of leftovers as the Black Friday game <laughs> kicks off between uh, Missouri and Arkansas. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Aflon Steven. You can also check out my work on YouTube at All CFB365 and check out the Cover 2 podcast. We come out on Wednesdays. We preview everything going on in college football, the playoff rankings, the games to come, uh, anything in the world of college football. Wednesdays, the Cover 2 podcast on Aflon Sports. Yeah, I can't wait for it, Stephen. So, uh, hey, happy uh, Thanksgiving to uh, you and the family over there. And enjoy the games. Enjoy the food. Can't wait to talk to you next week. Absolutely, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving to to you as well. And uh, look forward to talking to you next week. All right. So just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. Always appreciate the insight. Stephen's my favorite guest to have on this show. That's why we got him every week. 
during the football season. Just a college football encyclopedia right there. But, uh, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Again, tune in tomorrow live. If you, We'd love to have you Tuesday, 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 Central, on the YouTubes, Instagrams, uh, on the YouTubes, Twitter, Facebook. We're, we're on all of it live. So check us out, Rivalry Week Peak. Rivalry rivalry weekend picks coming at you a little earlier than usual. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.